Welcome to VPG's Virtual Water Cooler Chat Podcast, a platform that celebrates the rich tapestry of professional diversity, empowering both women and men. We aim to foster diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, DEIA, for all, while recognizing and championing the achievements of everyone as a central pillar of our journey. In our conversations, we explore a wide spectrum of backgrounds, experiences, and perspectives, creating a vibrant mosaic that enriches our collective understanding and strengthens our commitment to diversity and empowerment. Today, we have the pleasure of chatting with Iolani L. Bullock. Iolani is a dedicated advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, currently serving as the vice president of DEI at the Carlisle Group. She holds a Master of Business Administration, MBA from Georgetown University McDonough School of Business and graduated magna cum laude from New York University with a BA in Africana Studies, Marketing and Communications. In addition to her impressive career, Iolani has recently become a children's book author, publishing Linux Takes Flight two years ago. Her commitment to education and representation continues through her upcoming children's book, Little Linux Takes Flight set to release in 2024. Hi, Olani. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Ashley? Pretty good. Did you have a nice Thanksgiving? I did. It was very low-key, which was nice. We stayed here in Washington, D.C., and I loved it. How about yours? Um, it's pretty low-key because I've been everywhere. So. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds, high, that sounds very high-key if you're yeah, ever... <laughs> you know, yeah, they got to take flights, you know, everywhere, right? <laughs> so thank you so much for accepting our invitation to be on virtual water cooler chat. We recently released uh, Tash Durkin's episode and she was loving it. And we just kind of go pretty organically and uh, just have a chat. First thing first, we have Randy Braun to thank. Something major for the power lunch. So let's give credit where credit's due so that we have, you know, our powerful women kind of get together. Um, And I'm at Tash and you are not at my table, but... I was really drawn to how you introduce yourself. Mm. I was like, oh, I mean, like how just natural she was. And uh, when you were doing the quick intro at that power lunch, that's kind of drawn onto me. And then we're not at the same table. So I just walk over and introduce myself at the end and you're running out and well, like, okay, we're going to have to connect. And then before you know it, we had Amplifier Voice Under the Stars and then we are going to do another event. So that's kind of how we get together. What was your recollection? Yeah, I think, you know, there's something about the power of connection. Randy has such an extensive and amazing network of women. And there's always something about getting all these people in a room and feeding off of your energy. And when you ran over to me, your energy was so awesome. And unfortunately, I had to like beeline out the door to make it to a meeting. But I was like, we will connect. And since then, we've done much, much more than that. (laughs) I am just so glad. Can you share a little bit about Ilani? What is the essence of you? The essence of me. Well, I would say, you know, it's really interesting. I am a New Yorker at heart and I'm very proud. Um, But I was raised by a single mother and was in a family of very strong women. So just along that thread of powerful women that poured into me all the time. And I think, you know, for me, that was such a defining aspect. It is such a defining aspect of who I am because they always told me that I could do anything. 
literally anything. We didn't have a lot of money, but it didn't matter. I could go to NYU. We, you know, didn't have a lot of money, but it didn't matter. I could be a ballerina. I, I could do anything. And now thinking forward, you know, I'm a wife, I'm a mother of two, I'm an author. Um, and my children and I recite affirmations every day. And we end the affirmation with, I can do anything, both my son and my daughter. And so that through line for me is just so powerful um, that I've been able to take that, turn it into being a professional in corporate America, a diversity, equity, and inclusion professional, but also an author and a mother, um, taking that and making sure that that's part of my identity and theirs is just really incredible. And so that really, that notion of if I put my effort and my, you know, intent behind it, I can do it is how I really came to publish one and now almost two books. You're the best cheerleader, by the way. I swear, Ashley. Uh, I love it. Some people think that I have all this energy, but, you know, sometimes it's like, <laughs> no, uh, right before this, I was like, because um, I have a couple of presentations today and also I have like work to do people was like how do you find time to actually do work you're like bread and butter like p-tap filings yeah well i figure it out but like today i was kind of on a low energy zone and then i knew that my my mind is so cluttered with everything so i just printed out two of the notes and i started walking outside for 35 minutes hmm. and it just was like circling my circling around my neighborhood because i didn't want to sit in front of the computer and just wanted to, like, I was basically talking to myself, practicing my speech. In the past, you know, I probably would not have done this. I would just, like, sit right in front of the computer and just keep crushing it. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether I'm crushing anything, but at least I would just sit there and keep doing it. And I wouldn't necessarily think that, oh, I need to give my mind some space. Mm -hmm. But I think that's really important. I am really intrigued as to what you do as a VP of the DEI at the Carlisle Group. Can you talk a little bit about that without divergent and confidential information, of course? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion is such an interesting field because it looks different in every company and every industry. And what I truly appreciate about my role right now is that I get to work on diversity, equity, and inclusion, both internally for our firm, throughout the companies that we own in our portfolio and sort of in the broader industry. And no day ever looks the same. And I truly have to be a jack of all trades. Um, however, there is an aspect of it that I think really credentializes diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is really focusing on data and research. Mm -hmm. And that is so important because what I don't think people always realize is that DEI is not just good for people who consider themselves to be diverse, but it's good for everyone. You know, there's tons of research now that shows the linkage between diversity and performance. Diverse teams perform better. They ask better questions. They're more diligent. They pressure test things in ways that, you know, a homogenous team sort of is all the same thinking and goes along the same lines and gets you know, the same results every time. And so, you know, part of my job is understanding that is communicating that, making sure people are able to take that as the why, like, why is this important? Why do we put resources behind it? Why is there a team that focuses on it? And then is able to turn that into actionable steps to take. Um, I think that same 
thought around DEI for me is so important as an author, because as I was creating my book, I did a ton of research and looked into things that showed that there are higher percentages of children's books that have animals as characters than they do Black children, you know, and as a mother of Black children, it's like, well, there's a gap here that needs to be filled. Um, I think, you know, since 2020, we've seen so much more of that, given everything that happened post-George Floyd. Um, we've, we've seen much more. But prior to that, I mean, I remember growing up and I didn't have Black little girls in my books. I didn't have characters with different abilities in my books. Um, and so that's that sense of, you know, what is the research telling us? There's a gap here. Um, but I also recently read that Children's books are meant to be both mirrors and windows. And I see that in my work as well. So mirrors into seeing yourself. And that's so important in the workplace, seeing people like you that are, you know, more senior than you or on your teams, but also windows into other experiences. And so, for instance, I run our employee resource groups, ERGs, which are employee led and they're based on affinity or different backgrounds. And a big push is to have allies join that group so that they can be a part of the conversation, understand more about people who are different from them. Um, And so, you know, with both my work and my books, I hope that I'm able to have that impact on the people that are represented in it, but then the people that are just part of our world and should know people who are different from them and be curious about it as well. I could not agree with you more. I mean, I think there are there's definitely some Asian Americans books out there, but like my book actually has a lot of the animals, and yeah. so some people was like, "Are you writing a children's book?" I was like, "No," and then so people really misunderstood that to be a children's book. But the thing is, like when I wrote, for example, my book, is that the field that I actually work in is pretty technical. Mm-hmm. There's a patent, you know, filings and. You know, and I wanted to make the experience fun. And since I started my own company, what I find out is that the workforce is like there's definitely a gap in how people view belongingnesses, you know, mm-hmm. diverse or not. I think it's just like, you know, there's a talk about I am completely 100% virtual, but there are always talks about hybrid. It was like, Ooh, I, at least I don't have to deal with that. And so it's like, Having Zoom and a virtual environment, it was something that I find that as a way of uh, connecting with my team. Because when you use an avatar or an animal, somehow you provide a little bit extra safety. Yes. Because they're not really talking about themselves. Yet when they when you when I actually write the characters, it's like, that's how I would have responded. I said, like, Yeah, I know. <laughs> Because that's you. So I think that was really interesting. And, um, but I am really, really glad to see that you are writing, you know, and including this, you know, not necessarily, you know, the mirror part, but for your children. It's like you're building legacy so that they can actually be more inclusive and, and that there's a more inclusive future for them. And so kudos to you. Thank you Thank for doing you. that. Thank you. So what made you sort of like decided at the moment that I'm going to start writing Leonard's text flight? 
because your job is probably pretty demanding, as it's back is demanding. So carving out that time, can you talk a little bit about what was the moment that made you decide that I don't care how much time I'm going to put into it, but this is going to happen because why? Well, I have to keep it 100% real with you. When I first embarked on this, I had no idea how much time it was going to take, <laughs> but I was too far into it. So I had to keep going. Um, well, when I originally had the idea for the book, my son, this was 2018. My son was two months old. He's now five. Um, and we traveled to Thailand where my husband was um, stationed with his work. And so when we were preparing for the trip, I was trying to find books about travel for children and didn't find many. And of the books I found, none had characters who looked like him. So it was truly written out of a necessity. You know, I feel like an unlikely author because I didn't plan to write a book and do this whole thing. I just wanted my son to feel represented and to see himself as a traveler because travel was so important to me and my husband. That's how we sort of bonded over travel when we first met. Um, and so it was just so important that he saw himself you know, whether it's at the airport, on an airplane, preparing for a trip, you know, why shouldn't he see that he also has a passport? Like little things that I think we take for granted, but a part of it's a big thing about representation. If you don't see yourself in the ads about traveling to a destination, maybe you don't think you can go there. And so that's how the original idea started. I actually started writing it on my phone while in the hotel um, in Bangkok, just like writing notes. And at first I thought it could be a rhyme book and, you know, just all these ideas. But it sort of morphed into a chapter book to start, um, which was way out of my comfort zone. I thought I was going to write like, you know, a rhyme book that with a couple hundred words. And I mean you know, nine chapters later, I had to create this character and story arc and who are all these people that show up and the backstory. Um, but I had a lot of fun with it. I included a character in the book who is visually impaired and uses a guide dog. I never saw that in a book that I had growing up. I included a character who had a turban. They play I spy in the airport to pass the time waiting on long lines. And I remember a woman read the book, told me she read it with her sons. They would read a chapter a night, you know, for bath or bedtime. And they asked mom, what's a turban? And they went after they, you know, got out of the bathtub and Googled it and started to learn like, why do people wear turbans? Why is that something different? And why is that special for them? And so, you know, for me, I just feel like the book opens up all these conversations. It helps to foster curiosity about difference. Because where, you know, we see a big issue is people are afraid of people who are different from them. And every day I tell my son, being different is special. Being different is cool. You don't want to be like everyone else. And if someone's different from you, you should ask them about it in a respectful way, of course. But we can't shy away from difference. The country is diversifying rapidly the minority is now becoming the majority is the majority. And so I feel like if you are not embracing it, you are going to be left behind in a bad way. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the visually impaired um, characters and the dog. I think there's also an Asian character in there, right? A visually impaired woman is Asian. Yes, yes. Can we talk a little bit about accessibility? Mm. That is like the fourth criteria. 
for DEI. So traditionally, we usually just DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, I actually had a chat with Tash um, regarding accessibility, accessibility mm-hmm. because in the government, you yeah. have to address that. You know, I also work with the um, some people at the USPTO, and that is also a topic that is very near and dear to some of the um, um, leaders, the thought mm-hmm. leaders within the USPTO. And I wonder what your thoughts on how do we actually make accessibility pertinent to this discussion? I think it's, I mean, it's incredibly important and it's also something that we have to invest in. Luckily, technology is like moving at a rapid pace. And so I feel like there are more and more ways to help people maximize their performance by providing, you know, whatever they need to do a job well done. But I think a part of it too is really understanding how to reach people. Like we need to recruit people who may have, you know, a need for different accessibility options, have different abilities. But I don't know that we're all there yet, you know, from a corporate America perspective. Like it takes a lot of intent. It takes a lot of action. It takes a lot of research to figure out how that do you reach that population. But then you have to make sure on the back end that you can fully support them. You can't go out and say, I want to recruit people who have these needs, but then not be able to support them with technology or, you know, whatever it is. And so from what I've seen, you know, just working in the diversity industry in general um, over the years is that it it's a multi-step process. Like I remember when I was working on Wall Street, I used to connect with a student group at Columbia University that was focused on students at college students that had disabilities. And we would try to get them into our internship programs. But you Ooh. just learn so much about what their needs are and they are so varied And that makes it tough for companies to say, well, how do I flex to be so individual with my needs, um, you know, when I'm trying to really scale my operations in a way. Um, And so I think it, it has to come down to real intent and focus and really asking a lot of questions about what people's needs are. Um, It's not one size fits all. Definitely not. I think society has moved to, like you said, you know, with George Floyd, there are some opening of discussion. Yeah. But overall, there's also still a bit of a taboo when people like are so like uncomfortable to approach a topic because they are so fearful of potential lawsuit, maybe, and fearful of how mm-hmm. to best communicate. I think that when the conversation you know, when, when we are being genuine and about like really be interested in helping, I think sometimes that intentions and that gesture comes through versus there's a lot of lip services, obviously. Of so, so, you know, I think with proper intention and genuine, um, basically being authentic, I think people in the maybe the people with a disability in that community, they would actually feel that it's being supported and maybe that's when you can actually bridge the gap. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. You know, the authenticity, part of that is asking questions. We don't know what we don't know. And I think, you know, there there are corporate risks that, you know, companies have to take into account. But at the same time, I think if people with different abilities know 
that companies are out there who can support them, they would also be more willing to share what their needs are because sometimes, you know, we all try to cover or hide parts of ourselves that we're like, we can, we've figured it out before, we've navigated around this. And so we can, you know, sort of go in with one toe and see how it is versus just saying, here's what my needs are up front. At the end of the day, if this is a great person for the role, period, they have the skills that you need, you'll figure it out. You absolutely will. But it, it is a two-way street in that the companies and, you know, the hiring managers need to be able to support them and be authentic about that. And the people with different abilities also need to come in and say, here's what I need in order to be my best self and perform at my best. Yeah, I think some transparency in candidates, like Kim Scott said, you know, radical can do. Um, yeah. You know, I think that may help push us in the right direction. At least that's my hope. <laughs> so you are getting ready to release the next book in around May-ish, Little yeah. Leonard's Take Flight. How is that book different from the first one? This book was actually the original intent that I had in writing the book. Mm. I wanted it to be a picture book because my son cannot read my current book. He's too young. It's a chapter book. So this one he can absolutely read at five years old. And it really brings the whole story to life in visual form. So it's been so much um, work, but really great working with my illustrator because she'll send me sketches and ideas. And I'll actually use my son and my daughter, Tegan, as beta testers, sort of beta readers and say, how do you like this image? Like for instance, one of the first images for Little Lennox Takes Flight, I asked Lennox like, what do you think? This is you. And he was like, mom, it looks scary. (laughs) (laughs) so I had to go back and say we gotta soften this up a little bit maybe change it um but it's been a very humbling process my son like mom I don't like that can you say that differently it's been really good to get an actual child to help me map this out um but it's been an opportunity to truly flex those muscles of like adding in all different types of characters. So in one page of the book is going to be a scene of an airport. And the airport is where everyone's journey begins. It doesn't matter your background, what you look like, where you come from, your country, you hear so many languages, you see people of, you know, wearing different things. And so I'm just so excited to like put all my ideas in these images and, and edit and change them because I want everyone to see themselves in the book. You know, I want it to be a place where you're like, wow, I didn't think about that. When I go to an airport, it's not just everyone that looks like me. It is truly a mixture of all different, you know, backgrounds. Um, And I think it makes my son really excited to go to airports now. And he wants to play I Spy all the time. But um, it, um, yeah, the second book is so exciting. I cannot wait. And we'll be releasing some more images as they're ready. Well, you should see yourself and your face light up when you're talking about little letters takes flight. I think that's what we do, like, you know, as authors, because mm. we can both say that now. And one thing that I wanted, I was actually talking to other people about it as this sort of takes popularity or, you know, in the mainstream, you will likely get potential um, maybe speaking engagement to spread the message. How do you feel about that? And there's two questions. One is that, do you have 
how do you ever feel that like this whole imposter syndrome? If yes, how do you overcome it? And then the second point is something that was circulated, I think, yesterday when Randy was talking about the double standard in terms of women and males, uh, female and male speakers in yeah. um in that particular tech conferences, they yeah. fabricated the uh female profiles uh speakers credential, and then eventually that you know that whole conference did not take place. It was just kind of bad, disgusting, <laughs> horrible. Oh my goodness! Yes. So let's talk about imposter syndrome. Oh, do you feel confident when you go? I was like, oh, you know, I'm a proper shopper. This is what I'm going to do. And when you go inside, how do you prepare yourself? So what's, and I actually have this question for you. When did you start calling yourself an author? It took me quite some time to even say like, oh, can you introduce yourself? I would never add in, oh, and I'm a published author. Oh, I like how you turned the question back on me. (laughs) (laughs) You weren't ready for that one, were you? It took so, me some time. Well, I did not do it for the first one. Okay. I did not even promote my book for the first one. Wow. I did not see it. I, I just, it, it was just like, oh, something that I do to pass time. Because if you do not spread the message, you don't necessarily have to own it, mm-hmm. I feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't work well, well, you know, I've done yeah. it. I am a published author, but I don't have to really work hard to spread that message you know does does it make sense yeah and then it was not until it was not until I am almost done with the second book wow and I got to know you guys all you ladies sorry my bad (laughs) always have to correct myself um it was I don't know how you feel about confidence I am not I have not always been the most confident person. People said that I, it doesn't come across, but I think inside. And one thing that I want to really applaud you for doing that with your children is that I can do it. That that can do attitude is so important. Because there's some cultural, you know, uh, differences in how, like for example, I love my mom. There's a certain part of it that. I do not feel supported mm-hmm. because her cultural lenses yeah. is so different. Like my grandmother had her uh, feet fine. So those are like basically, I mean, and she, she passed. And my mom was mostly like, my dad was pretty controlling. Uh, he is no longer here. And so my mom did not get a chance to make a lot of decisions. So not having that particular, you know, control or that autonomy, it put her in a certain lens that is not, you know, that she always like, I feel like that she might have played a little bit more victim mode and I don't like that. And there's part of it. So the second book is sort of like coming out because there are other women authors that actually believe in me. You, Cash, Randy, Lisa Gable. And through that, that's when I start thinking that, oh, you know, maybe I know what I'm talking about. So I thought that that was really important. So thank you for reverse asking me that question. 
That is so wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that's important. You know, we all come from different backgrounds or cultural lenses that impact us more than we know, you know, and we don't realize what we take on. And, you know, we think maybe we've overcome something, but as adults, it manifests itself in so many different ways. Uh, similarly, I I really don't know that I've been confident in like feeling like an author until I had just started the second book. And maybe that's very similar for us. It sort of took that first book to understand and, you know, get into this mode of an author. But now I'm like, no, I'm an author. I'm a published author. Going on number two, it feels really good. But I absolutely had imposter syndrome because originally I was writing this book to and for my son. So it wasn't even a thought of like other people are going to see, like yes, in theory, but the original intent was, I don't see this for him. And as his mom, I'm creating a world in which he can do anything, see himself and feel confident. And so this book is to help him feel that way. Um, And so once other people were like, oh my gosh, this is great, or started you know, pouring into me as an author and giving me, you know, both constructive and positive feedback. And I was like asking me to speak on water cooler chats. I was like, me? Like I should be doing yes, that. And I really <laughs> had to take a step back and say, no, you wrote a book. You published a book. Like a lot of people do not do that. Um, it takes a lot of energy and it takes someone who is very focused in order to get over that finish line. Um, and it's on Amazon, like, hello, it's out there. (laughs) It's a commitment. And also I think is that how we, so a couple of things I wanted to kind of share how I am working on my imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So Seth Golden, marketing guru, I really kind of know him. And when he talked about imposter syndrome he goes like well of course you're going to have imposter syndrome you have never done it before it would be silly if you don't have that you know so it is actually a healthy thing it kind of put us on uh keep us on guard so that's kind of how I'm looking at it it was like well you know and the other thing that is really I think um is so empowering is like through other people's feedback and you know I no longer look at it sort of like, oh, because I never really, I, I mean, I have an actual business that, you know, the selling of the book is not my bread and butter. Yeah. At least not yet, right? Who knows what would happen? And who knows what would happen with Lana's text flight and little Lana's text flight? You might have a foundation eventually. Who knows, right? Sky's the limit. Absolutely. And, and then, so I think that our confidence is built through helping other people. And when they give us feedback that what we devoted our time, like, you know, maybe midnight after you put the kids or after I finish my filing. And when I, when we go through that process and somehow other people resonated with it, that's, in my opinion, that's when I find my own fulfillment. It's yeah. not about that, you know, 60%, ro- you know, 60% of royalty that I'm getting. Um, I, I don't even really keep track of it as much because I have other things to do, you know. But what I really find the most is that, oh, use, using this book, I'm able to connect people. Yeah. And in a way that I have never thought that it's possible. 
So I'm getting my first sort of speaking consulting engagement. So excited. And it's also through other women who helped me. Yeah. You know, and I, I just find that very, very amazing. Can we talk a little bit about the theme of women empowerment? What are some of the major lessons learned? Maybe give us like two to three points that you want to share with our audiences and in terms of what is important to you as a woman of color, because we're both women of color, and in terms of how do we propel our society forward using women empowerment? Yeah, I think some of the things that are most important are connectivity. You know, it's like that old adage, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together um, or go with more people. I forget. Um, And it's sort of just you need a tribe, I call it, around you. So I have a tribe of moms that, you know, we help each other. I have a tribe of incredible friends that I go to for things. And I really do feel that through people like you and Randy and others, just making these connections of women saying, there's nothing I'm getting out of this. I just want to help you because it, all of us succeed if one of us succeeds. And so I've been very much trying to be a bridge, you know, as I can support other women, helping women that are you know, younger than me or coming up through the ranks, whether it's within my company or um, I went to Georgetown for business school and just had calls with a a few women who were just interested in talking to an alum, you know, ways that you can reach back is so important and reach across and reach diagonally, like reach everywhere. Um, But it is so important. And you just never know. The second thing I'll say is how a small thing can impact someone a small conversation that you're like, oh, I don't have time for it, but I'll just do it anyway. Um, A small compliment, just saying, I saw you do this. And that was really awesome. Those things, we talk about imposter syndrome, help to break that oftentimes. When other people see you and notice you and see what you're doing, that gives you confidence that you can take a step forward and continue to succeed. But I also think in terms of women's empowerment, it's really important that men are allies. And there's research um, that was recently done that showed, um, I believe, men, it was specific in venture capital, men with daughters outperformed men that didn't have daughters. Yeah. And so, you know, yes, we as a collective of women have to, you know, gatekeep in some ways, but at the same time, allyship is crucial. And there are men out there who understand how and when they need to step aside, make a connection, you know, really support in different ways. Um, And I think that that is critical to our success. I love how you say that about allyship, because how you know, you your episode I'm recording here is going to be the first episode for 2024. We are going to change a little bit in the new year because in 2023 we have only had um women that we interviewed ah, interesting so because yeah. th- at that time i mean i still do believe in one, women empowerment but exactly like you said i've kind of started with conversation with so many men and uh women and men both but 
if the system is fundamentally still, you know, kind of like run by men, they need to be in the conversation so that we can actually make changes, effective changes. Mm -hmm. So 2024, besides the BPG team, you're the first one to know that we are going to expand out to DEIA theme and we will have some like very diverse practitioners to address some of the topic. We will talk about the personal professional journey, but you know, together is better because that's how we diverse practitioners and diverse like viewpoint is how we actually come up with creative solutions. That is awesome. I cannot wait to hear it. And that's such a good point. Um, And when we say diversity, I always have to remind myself, diversity doesn't mean all of the same. Diversity means you need white men and Asian women and non-binary. Like We need all different backgrounds involved. And so I feel like sometimes we get away from that when we hear diversity. A lot of white men may say that doesn't apply to me. No, it absolutely does. Yep. You know? So that's something I'm so glad you pointed out and really excited to hear some of the people you have on for 24. Well, you know, did you know that we actually have 35 episodes for 2023? <laughs> You're busy. Jeez. My team has been busy. I think I worked them too hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then I told them, I was like, okay, 2024, we're going to slow down. We're going to have 24. So we can, you know, and each time when I said that I want to have a bonus, I was like, no, if it's too many bonuses, then there's not a bonus. Okay, got it. You got a good point. So I have to like listen to my team and they give me like really good advice. And sometimes I'm like, no, I feel very strongly about this. <laughs> it's like, okay, fine. We'll just make it happen. Yeah. But um, well, thank you so much, Iolani. I think that is amazing. And I, again, want to thank you and I wish you a great success in launching uh, Little Letters Take Flight. Thank you. Love your little beta readers. Yes. And um, I guess through you, I also met Janet Bruns. Yes. She's amazing. And we became friends because of you. So you connected us. And um, with that, I want to wish you a happy new year. And thank you again. Same to you. And thank you for having me. (laughs) 